Judges chapter 8. I brought my lunch with me if this goes long. <laughs> Judges chapter 8, if you would. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and be seated. Judges chapter 8. There's three words in this one verse that I'm going to ask you to look at. And those three words are going to be the title of this message. If you're in Judges chapter 8, I'm going to just have you look at the fourth verse. Dr. Getch, what a privilege it is for me to be here. What a privilege to come here and to speak and to, to have an opportunity to challenge you. And so I say thank you for that. And Dr. Getch uh, talked to you a little bit about the idea of listening and, and coming ready to go. And I, I had intentions of asking this question to you today. Is this today a teachable moment for you? Did you come into chapel today saying, well, I'm, I'm ready to go? I'll share this story with you. My brother was uh, coaching basketball, and he and I coached basketball together. And so uh, we had coached at Christian school for about I'd 15 for me and 20 for him. And uh, he took a job at a public school. And uh, we went in there, and the, the team that we were coaching was 3 and uh, 18 the year before, meaning they won three games and they lost 18, and they graduated some of their best players. Yeah. So uh, I don't know why he took that job, but he asked me to go help him. So we, our first game of the year, we were going to be playing the biggest school on our schedule, and, um, and it was going to be in our gym, and, and we were hoping to be competitive. You know what I'm talking about? Where we're just hoping that it would be a good game, and we would at least represent ourselves well. About five minutes into the game, we were just hoping we would score that night. It was 15 to zero, and timeouts hadn't worked. And uh, we were just like, oh boy, I just hope we can score tonight. And uh, at the end of the third quarter, we were down by 18, and the game ended with one of our kids shooting a three-pointer and rimming out. If he makes it, we would have won by one point. And uh, the game ended, and, and as the game ended, you, you know, you go and you shake hands. And we were new with this school, so we kind of protocol for us is we all then go to the locker room and don't, don't touch, don't touch your shoes, don't do anything. You just look at your coach until he gets done talking, and then you get ready and, uh, and go home. And so uh, we, we were going through the line, and we were shaking hands. And, and as we were doing that, uh, I was going through, you know, what's, uh, what's the post-game comments going to be? And, and I, I know what it is, and you know what they are, too. I mean, you're going you're gonna to tell them, you know, we had a bad start, but, boy, I sure was proud of you guys, and, and you fought to the end. I mean, that last shot goes in. I, I know what the speech is. And I'm walking to the locker room, and I see my brother's neck, and it's just bulging in red. I'm like, man, what's going on with him? And we get in the locker room, and all the kids sit down. And, and they all get seated there, and, and I'm ready for him to say, you know, man, we were so close. And, and he turns to the kids, he goes, you know why we lost that game? I'll tell you why we lost. And he takes some chalk, and he puts P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E, practice. You guys don't know how to practice. And he threw the chalk and splattered it everywhere. Needless to say, they were all ears. They were, they were in the locker. They were almost a little bit excited that they had gotten that close at the end, and they were ready, you know, for the coach to tell them they were doing great. And all of a sudden, he just says, you don't know how to practice. Now, I'm just telling you that that was a teachable moment. I can't reenact a teachable moment for you today. But I will tell you this. If you have some maturity about yourself, 
if you got a good night's sleep, if you came into chapel with the right kind of a spirit, you're going to be saying this, what is there from God's word that I could soak up today? What, what does God have for me that maybe would be a help to me today? And so I ask you to go to Judges chapter 8, and we're in verse 4, and I just want you to see three words in Judges chapter 8 and verse 4. And those words are right near the end. It just says this, and here's your title, faint yet pursuing. Faint yet pursuing. We're about ready to study a choosing of teams. You ever been part of a, of a team choosing where, where there's, a, there's an opportunity for, for uh, teams to be chosen? You know, when, like, like if you're a basketball player and they're going to choose teams, you know, you, you take a ball and you go between your legs or something while they're, t while they're talking about it, you know, just show them what you got. And you're like, pick me, please pick me. We went over there to that school I was telling you about. We'd just gotten there, and we had an open gym, and we were going to pick teams. And, uh, and, and uh, they, we, we split the kids up, and we said, okay, you choose, you choose, you choose. And they got down to two kids left. And the one kid that was picking, he looks over at the other guy, he goes, I don't want either of them, let's just play. Like, oh, man, <laughs> that's not how you're supposed to do that. What if I came in here today and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose 10 students for a team. From this group right here, I'm going to choose 10 students. And I'm going to give a $1,000 stipend to those who are being chosen. Say, man, pick me. Well, it's an academic team that I'm picking for. And so I begin to try to choose. I'm like, oh, no. No, I can tell, no. Eh, maybe. Yeah, you know. What if, what if God walked in and God said, I'm going to pick teams. I need a team. I need a group of elite young people. And God begins to choose. What would that be like? Take, take, take now, go back to Judges chapter 7. In Judges chapter 7, we're going to read the first two verses. We'll have a word of prayer. But let me say one more thing before we read these two verses. This message today may be somewhat unique in this way. This message may be somewhat unique in this way. This message is not directed to the wayward among us. This message is not directed to the rebellious nor to the scoffer. This message is directed today to those who are the potentially elite. Judges chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says, Then Jerubbaal, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod. So that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah, in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Today, we're reading. God arrives, and God says, We're going to choose a team. I'm doing the choosing. This is an elite military unit that I'm looking for. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 8. Lord, an opportunity where you arrived and you said, I want to choose a team. I need the elite. And I pray, Lord, that from among this group today, there would be some who would be chosen as the elite. I ask you to bless this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is going to do the choosing, but in verse 3, we learn this. In verse 3, we learn that there was initially 32,000 there. 
He says in verse 3, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people there 22,000, there remain 10,000. Do the math. That means there's 32,000 of them who began. If you have Judges chapter 8 and verse 10, in Judges chapter 8 and verse 10, it says there's about 15,000 that are left after this. And it says there fell there 120,000. If you do the math there, you got 135,000. So God's choosing a team. He wants an elite military unit, and the opponent is going to be 135,000. The pool that God has to choose from is 32,000. The 32,000 do not yet know it, but this opportunity is going to be a mountaintop experience. This is going to be an experience like when Abraham uh, was going to uh, uh, kill his own son and then God stopped him and said, there's a ram here. It's a mountaintop experience like when David walks up to King Saul and he's carrying Goliath's head with him. It's a mountaintop experience like when Moses parted the Red Sea. It's going to be a mountaintop experience. They don't know this yet. Today, I want you to consider the testing, the toil, the triumph, the takeaway, the testing. It's very clear that God wanted a smaller group so that all would know that the victory came from him. He says that very uh, quickly here in verse 2. He says, the people that are with thee are too many. The 32,000 is too many. If we do this with 32,000, the people of Israel are going to vaunt themselves against me. They're going to say, hey, look at us. Look what we've done. Let me ask you to do something for me today and humor me for a minute. Let's, let's behave as though there's 900 people in this, in this uh, room right now. There's 900. I need the number 900 for my math. And I'm going to ask you to do something for me and, and uh, participate if you would. If you're between the ages of 20 and 25, would you stand, please? If you're between the ages of 20 and 25, would you stand? If you are, uh, if you are would you remain standing if you are from California? Remain standing if you're from California. Those of you from California that are standing right now, if you are left-handed, would you please remain standing? If you're left-handed, would you please remain standing? Remain standing, please, now, if you're, uh, if you're between 20 and 25, you're from California, you're left-handed, and your birthday's in the summer. We got one. I needed two. What I just did is I took a group of uh, 900 down to one. I was looking for two. I was looking for a ratio between 450 to one because that's the ratio that we're going to have. When God gets done, he's going to have 300. And if I did my math correctly, the 300 compared to the 135,000 they're going up against is one to 450. But I ask you this question. God said specifically, he goes, I don't want this big of a group. The group's too big. I want a smaller group. Why did God not do this? I mean, look how quick I did that. Why did God not just say this? I just want all the redheads. I want all the redheads and the lefties. I want all the redheads and the lefties and the 21-year-olds. Why didn't God do that? For some reason, God made a determination that he wanted a specific group of people he had a testing that he wanted them to go through. God is choosing a team. And by the way, victory's guaranteed. God already said he's given the victory. 
So God's choosing a team, victory's guaranteed, yet if I did my math correctly, 99.0625% of the warriors are unfit to participate. So God says we've got to get the group smaller. And God could have made the group smaller in any way that he chose, but he chose some specific eliminators. A little over a year ago, my son was home for Christmas, and he said, uh, hey, Dad, he goes, Dad, we ought, to go, we ought to go skiing as a family. Let's go skiing. And I said, I've never skied before. And he goes, well, I've done it a couple times. It's awesome. You should go. And so, so uh, my wife said she would do the watching, and uh, Abe and I and, and my two daughters decided we would go skiing. I didn't know anything about skiing. I'd never been to a ski place before. Um, I'd never tried those big long things on that you put on. Um, and so we got there, and when we got there, we, we got in, we, we paid our money, and we got in line, and they gave us this, you know, I didn't know all the different things you had to have. They asked two stupid questions while we were going that I didn't think were important. One was that, should you wear a, ha a helmet? And I looked at Abe, he's like, no. <laughs> then they asked another dumb question, and that was, would you like some training beforehand? Well, when we were on our way there, I was driving. I looked in the rearview mirror at my three kids, and I said, hey, when we get there, I'm not going to do those flips and stuff until I do this like 20 minutes or so before, we, before I do that. <laughs> and so they said, would you like some training? And I looked at Abe, and he goes, no. It's fine. So, so we went out, and they've got this little kitty, um, kitty slope. And so I thought, well, I might as well start the kitty slope. I tried to get to the kitty slope, and I could not, I got halfway down and wiped out. It made me mad. So I, I got back up, and I, I went down, you know, just real thin. So then you look over, and there's this large mountain, it looked to me, and then there's this really large one. And I said, which one are we going on, Abe? He goes, well, that one, obviously. So they have this thing there that's called a ski lift, and it's literally this thing that kind of like just loops around, and you, you, Get, get ready, and then you, the seat comes by, and you better be ready because you're falling in. And hang on because it goes up kind of high, and, and, uh, and the thing just continuously moves. Well, I found out that it will stop because I got up to the top, and, and I saw the people, you know, they just kind of like zoom off it, and I was like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. So I tried to zoom off it, and they had to stop it and get me out of the way. <laughs> I couldn't get down that hill, and I tried it multiple times, and I even tried where you like you go over this way and then you're going to go back this way, but I couldn't figure out how to turn my skis, so I, <laughs> I couldn't do that. My 13-year-old daughter, she's, she figures it out. She's never skied before. She figures it out. So we go back up the hill again. I've fallen all over the place, and, and she goes, Dad, I, I got it figured out. You're scared, and what you got to do is you just got to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I just... Goad, you know, I just went. And, and I got going pretty fast, like really fast. And, and something happened. I'm not sure what happened. It happened really fast, but my face hit the ground with one of those sticks or whatever I was supposed to be carrying in between. I like to poke my eye out. I hit the ground so hard with my face. I, I, I'm not sure if I was knocked out for a little bit or not. I did hear my little 13-year-old skate by me, ski by me saying, you okay, Dad? <laughs> Some woman stopped. Some woman I've never met before stopped. 
And I was face down there, half knocked out. And she goes, hey. And I looked over and she goes, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And she goes like this. She goes, you should probably see medical. I picked my skis up and put them under my arm and I stomped down that hill and threw it all down and went to the car. And that's when I got a mirror. I had skinned my whole head up here and it was all bloody. But the worst of it was, the reason that lady probably said, you need to see medical, she had never met me before. She had never seen that I have two different colored eyes and that my nose has been broken about 10 times and it's not attached right up at the top. So she looked at me and she was like, dude, something really bad happened to you. <laughs> your eyes are not the same color. Your nose is all over the place. You got blood all over your head. I tell you that to tell you this. That doesn't eliminate you. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't have the right looks or, or I'm not the right age or, or I, I don't have the right size. That none, of that, none of that mattered to God. Age, size, strength, appearance, intelligence, none of those were measured. When God made a determination here, he had, I, I'm going to give you what I believe are three eliminators. Three things eliminated. The first eliminator, he just says this in verse 3. He says, Now therefore go to, proclaiming the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. Hey, if you're scared... Take a hike. Those who were fearful and afraid. Wasn't the size of the bicep here, it's the size of the heart. Someone said size of affliction is less consequential than size of heart. Hey, if you're fearful and afraid, you're not one that God wants. And then he had a second. A second eliminator. And the Lord said in verse 4 unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water. Now, they've gone from 32,000 down to 10,000 because it's too, still too many. I need to, I need to get this, this group smaller. And the Lord said again, the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water. I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. He said, take them down the water. So he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bowed down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. Here's the second eliminator. The first one, if you're fearful and afraid, go. You're not going to be one that I'm going to choose. And when I was a little boy growing up, I was taught this story, and maybe you were too, and the way you're taught is that it's those that picked the water up to their mouth and they kept their eye on the enemy. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know it's somebody that brought the water to their mouth. But the eliminator was this. The eliminator was those who bowed down to drink. It's said there twice. At the end of verse 5, it says, Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. Verse 6, and the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. It seems to give an indication that these are they who are servants to the desires of the flesh. If you're one who lets your flesh dictate and you're just going to bow down uh, to, the, to the needs of the flesh, then you're going to be eliminated. But there's a third eliminator, and that I believe is this. I believe it's those who lack preparation. I think this is the overriding eliminator here. Those who lack preparation. I won't have you take the time to turn here, but let me read from Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8. Moses is talking about warfare. It says, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, in verse 1. In verse 8, he says, the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, what man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house. 
This is something they already knew. They already knew this was something. This is something they should have been prepared for. And then in verse 4, the Lord said, Again, the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. They had to have, uh, there must have been some preparation here. He said, I'm not even telling you what I'm doing. Just get them to the water, and then I'll tell you. It seems to give an indication that there was some preparation that they should have made. They should have, should have been prepared, but the preparation time was now past. And so could I encourage you this as young people, take advantage of your preparation opportunities. Take advantage of the opportunity to prepare. Make, that's why I'm talking about a teachable moment. When you come into a chapel saying, when you sit down before a professor, soak. Don't look for the opportunities to, 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 to run. Soak, prepare. It may be that God's looking for someone elite and he's saying, hey, here's some preparation. I want to challenge the ladies first, and I'm going to challenge the men about this. Take your Bible, if you would, and go to Proverbs chapter 11. I'm going to challenge the ladies just for a minute. Proverbs chapter 11. I had an opportunity to meet with some of the administration of the staff, and I asked them. I said, i got to do an illustration, and it's going to be a little bit painful. And so I need someone, maybe like the worst kid in the school, to come up here. And so they, they were pretty much unanimous. They said Abraham would be the one. So, Abe, if you would come up here. I'm going to do a little, little illustration. I'm a farmer, grew up on a farm, and Dr. Getch would agree with me. You can take the farmer off the farm, but you can't take the farming out of the farmer. Worst kid in the school right there. <laughs> Hands and knees there, young man. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 11, and verse 22 says, As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman, which is without discretion. When I was on the farm, we had a job that we had to do every once in a while. That job was to put a ring in a, in a hog's nose. So we're going to do that today. It's a little bit painful. It's not that big of a deal. I, I think that the, probably the rules of the school don't prohibit that, do they? I mean, if, if there's a problem. I brought with me a couple rings here. It's what a, ring, a pig ring looks like. It's something about like that. It looks like a C. And then you got a special piece of equipment that you use. Just take it like that, sits right in there like that. And then the way, I'll just show you on a, on a piece of cardboard, the way you do that is you just put that in their nose like that, and then you just squeeze like that, and it's in. See how that works? So I'm going to do that with this guy here. So what, the way you would do that with a, the way you would do that with a hog is you would put them in a crate. And the reason you do that, there was a reason you did this with a hog. You would, you would have a hog, and they have a, a, a snout that's really strong, amazingly. They're, they're, their nose and their neck is extremely strong. They can pick a gate up and just throw it like that. But one of the things they would do sometimes, you put them out in a pasture field with dirt, is they just begin to dig, and they can dig right, right, right uh, under a fence. And so one of the ways you would fix it, did you ever do that? You guys did it with something like this? You know exactly what I'm talking about then. All right. So what you do is you put them in a crate so they couldn't turn around, and then you'd take this and you put it in their mouth. You go. <laughs> and then you yank their mouth back. I'm not going to do that to him. But you yank their mouth back. And when you yank their mouth back, their nose is sticking straight up in the air. One guy's doing that while the other guy's got this piece of equipment. So you get that thing all the way back. His nose is sticking up here. And then you, just as quick as you can, just put down their nose and squeeze it. As soon as you squeeze it, it's in there for good. And you know what happens the next time they try to go, thank you, sir. The next time they try to go um, dig in the dirt with their nose, 
very painful for them. And that's it. That's all, that's all you got to do. And, and Dr. Getch has been there, done that. I've done that. And uh, so when, when the Bible uses this passage of Scripture, this, this concept here in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 22, it says, as a jewel of gold in a swine's snow. This little hog ring is what we called them. They were usually made out of brass. They were of absolutely no value. You did that on purpose because you're sticking in a hog's nose for the remainder of his life. You didn't put anything of any value in it. But Proverbs 11.22 says, A fair woman, which is without discretion, is like taking gold and sticking it in a pig's nose. Now, who would do that? Young ladies, a fair woman is a lady who's good-looking. And young ladies can make the mistake of being all worried about the exterior. And they don't put much time on the discretion part. And let me just tell you this. You're in a position right here, right now, where you can gain discretion. Discretion is wisdom and understanding, the ability to discern between good and evil, that strong meat that Hebrews talks about. Ladies, if you're a lady that's all worried about the exterior, maybe you've got it figured out, and you fit the category of fair, but there's no discretion, you're like sticking a, a piece of gold in a pig's nose. No value. And so let me challenge you, ladies. Gain discretion. Desire to gain wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And young men, let me challenge you just for a minute about preparation. Young men, one of the biggest problems I believe with young men is, is the idea of looking at the wrong kind of things and our eyes get us in trouble. And I'm telling you, uh, uh, many of you may struggle with this idea of pornography. And I'm telling you, you got to go back to Job chapter 31 where Job says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then would I think upon a maid? I spoke in a school chapel not too long ago, and I said, I'm not going to challenge you to stay away from pornography. I'm challenging you to step away from it. Because I think it's a big problem. It's a big problem, and it sucks us in. And I'm just telling you, man, you better make a commitment. You better make a commitment. You better make some preparation. God is looking for an elite force. He's not looking for the fearful and afraid. He's not looking for those who are going to bow down to drink. They're going to be servants to the desires of the flesh. He's not going to be looking for those who lack preparation. I believe they, they should have known how to drink there. Why did he do that then? We talked about the testing. Look at the toil. Why would he use those specific eliminators? Well, when you get to verse 16, it says, And he, that's Gideon, divide the 300 men into the three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. You just told me that it's 450 to 1. There's 135,000 of them and there's 300 of us. And here's what we got to work with. A trumpet, an empty pitcher, and a lamp within the pitcher. The time of the mission. The Bible tells us that they went in the beginning of the middle watch in verse 19. You think there wasn't a need for them to, to be ready to listen and to trust and to stand and to endure? In Judges chapter 8 and verse 4, there's just a little phrase about those 300. Here it is. You ready? Faint, yet pursuing. 
God's looking for an elite force, for a mountaintop experience. What, a, what an opportunity they had here. And God is looking for that kind of an elite force, a military unit. I'll tell you this, victory is only viewed as guaranteed if trust is embraced. These guys had to put their trust in Gideon as the man sent from God. And they had to let Gideon tell them, you're going to take a trumpet and you're going to take an empty pitcher and a lamp within the pitcher. The triumph. Here's some victory lessons for you. Number one, your light shines brightest during the darkest hour. It was in the, uh, in the camp in the middle watch, right in the beginning of the middle watch, right in the middle of the night. And I'll tell you this, your light's going to shine the brightest during the darkest hour. Number two, unexpected sound and light produces victory. What, what, what caused the victory here? Well, well, they break those pitchers, and they, their light was shining, and they blew those trumps. They said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It was unexpected sound and light. There was unexpected hearing and seeing. And this world's in dire need of some unexpected sound and light. But there's one more victory lesson that we bet, better not miss. There are only 300 of them. And the Bible uses this term in verse 21. It says, and they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. What's the significance of they stood every man in his place round about the camp? Here's the problem we have sometimes. Let's say there's 135,000 of these people here. And there's only 300 of them. And they're stationed every man in his place round about the camp. And one of them, one of them's a little fearful. Or he wasn't listening good. And he doesn't break his pitcher and reveal his lamp. You know what would have possibly happened with those 135,000? They would have awakened from their sleep. And in their uh, sleepiness, they would have looked around. They would have seen all these lights everywhere except for one spot because somebody didn't do his job. And you know what they probably would have done? Took off for that hole. And here's the, here's the thought. Those who refuse to expose the light for fear of being attacked will be run over. Those who, those who refuse to expose the light for fear of being attacked will be run over. Sometimes they say, well, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I, I can't show my light. I can't reveal that, that I'm a, a Christian. I can't do that. Let me tell you something. You, you refuse to reveal your light because you're going to get attacked. You're going to get run over. Here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. My sister, uh, Deb, teaches and, uh, and is very good at teaching history. I don't know that much about history. But there's a battle in World War II. It was a battle that was going to be in a, in a little uh, island. And, and this battle uh, was going to take uh, about three days for the United States to win this island. And, and they got word out, and they said, we're going to go. We need to take this island. It's an important island in the Pacific, and, and we're going to go there. And, and it's just going to take a little bit of time. And so uh, a lot of the reporters didn't, didn't go. The journalists said, well, just a, a little thing there. We're not going to go. You'll find this battle in a lot of the history books. Not much was written about it. It's called the Battle of Peleliu. Battle of Peleliu happened on an island that the average temperature is about 115 degrees. Most of it was lava rock, and so any uh, deaths, it was very difficult to have any bodies that were buried. The battle that was going to last three days ended up lasting a few weeks. 
the Japanese that were there on that island had made a change in the way that they were battling, and they had honeycombs all through the island. The, the individuals, uh, that the water that came in for those who were battling there uh, on behalf of the United States came in in 50-gallon uh, barrels that used to have gas in them. So it was hard to even drink the water. It took an elite group of guys to win that war. And I'm going to tell you something. It's going to take an elite group. And God's looking for an elite group. He may be looking in this group right now. He's saying, I'm looking for some elite. I can't have those who are fearful and afraid. Those ones they need to go. I can't have those who are going to bow down on their knees to drink, who are going to let the desires of the flesh rule their lives. I can't have, I can't have those who aren't going to make the preparation that they ought to for the, uh, the testing that's going to come. I can't have those. God's looking for an elite group for an amazing success. And I ask you this question today. Are you preparing yourself to be chosen? 99.0625% were eliminated. But I'll tell you this. Courage. Courage, coupled with preparation, may equal participation in supernatural victory. Don't you want to be part of something where you say, look at what God did. What hath God wrought within this group right here? Don't you say, I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those that has that mountaintop experience. I want to be one of those that can be part of that 300. I want to be one of those who's going to be faint, yet pursuing. 